0: let's turn tonight to the book of revelation revelation chapter 14 as you're finding the place just let me make the comment that it's not revelations s it's revelation which is one and the word revelation just means unveiling and what a A book it is of God's unveiling to us of what's happening and going to happen in the world. (coughs) Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. (coughs) Remember John's in the Isle of Patmos. He's there as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And God has come to him. He says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labours, and their works to follow them. And I looked, and behold a white cloud, And upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth. and The earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. The wine press was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the wine press, even unto the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. Amen. We know that God will stamp with His own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken from Revelation chapter fourteen and the verse fifteen. And my subject this evening is the final harvest of judgment. The text reads and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat in the cloud Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, I've already told you a few weeks ago that there are 53 references to the word harvest in the Bible. The first, of course, is Genesis 8 and 22, seed time and harvest. And you've got to think of the harvest that God provides. It's wonderful to know that God is faithful and true to his word. There's always been a harvest from the beginning of the world. And there'll always be a harvest to the end of the world. It might be a bad harvest, it could be a bumper harvest, it could be a blighted harvest, but there always will be a harvest. God said seed time and harvest shall not cease. So I want you to think. Of the harvest that God provides. Think of how good God has been to us in our land. Here we are tonight and we've got food in our belly and clothes in our back. And we've got soundness of mind and body. And when we're just sick we can go to the doctor. And when we've got a toothache we can go to the dentist. And if we're in trouble we can call the police. And if there's a fire we can get the fire brigade out. These are all just blessings that are there in the land. And they're tied in to the goodness of God to us. Individually and uh, as a community. But I want you to also think tonight of the harvest that sin provides. Doesn't the Bible say in Galatians 6 and 7. What a man sows that shall he also reap. Sin pays wages. (coughs) I think of the song tonight I don't know who penned it. Sin will take you further than you want to go. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. The Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. But here's the law of the harvest. What you sow, you reap. And the law is that you reap a lot more than what you sow. Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, you cannot be. The very sin that man gives pleasure and succor from is the very sin that will bring them down into the very damnation of hell itself. I want you to also think tonight of the harvest of the gospel. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 4, the fields are white already to harvest. And you and I have a duty to go and labor, laboring in love. Reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to go and tell sinners of their need of a saviour. We've got to talk and testify of Christ. We've got to be bold and we've got to be brave. Remember Jesus said all power is given unto me. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we have a responsibility as a church, we have a responsibility individually as well as congregationally to to scatter the good seed of the word of God. And of course we have a responsibility to gather that good seed. But you know there's another harvest. And here's the last reference to the word harvest in the Bible. And it's in Revelation chapter 14, and in the verse 15, and the Bible says, For the harvest of the earth is ripe. Or as the marginal rendering gives, the harvest of the earth is dried. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39, the harvest is the end of the age or literally the end of the world. It's interesting that John uses the words for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And I want to point out tonight that John in the Isle of Patmos, inspired of course by the Holy Spirit, was actually quoting from one of the minor prophets. And that minor prophet Was a man by the name of Joel. And this is what we read. In the prophecy of Joel. In um, chapter 3. He uh, tells us there. um, Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come get you down. For the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Similar words. Joel, as I've said, was one of the minor prophets. He's minor in size. There's only three chapters uh, of his prophecy. But certainly not in substance. And his final chapter, the third chapter, is a message on what subject? It's the very same subject that you'll find in Revelation chapter 14 and 15. It's the message of the final harvest. And that's what we want to think about tonight. Three simple little thoughts. I want us to think about the summons in the final harvest. You see, Joel has painted the picture of a swarm of locusts invading the land of Israel. And he tells us there in chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, that those locusts have been summoned by God to come. Now, locusts are little creatures that are noisier and bigger than a cricket. And if a swarm of locusts was to come to Northern Ireland, it would be like a big, dense, black cloud. And that swarm would settle in the trees. Trees that are full of, say, fruit and foliage. And in a very short time, they would be stripped bare. And there'd be nothing left but the bark and the branches. And in fact, that's the picture that Joel gives in chapter 1 and in the verse 10. The field is wasted. The land mourneth. For the corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. The oil languisheth be ye ashamed o ye husband man howl o ye vine dressers for the wheat and for the barley because the harvest of the field is perished Now you could ask yourself tonight why how could this possibly happen not just in one area but in the whole land where Joel was making his prophecy And that was the land of Israel. And the answer is very simple. It was because of sin. It was because they were under the judgment and wrath of God. It was because of their refusal to repent and get right with God despite his repeated calls. It was because the people themselves didn't want to be in a right relationship with the Lord. And oh, that we could see tonight that judgment always comes as a result of sin. A result of lawlessness and wickedness in the land. Isn't it true individually? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Remember I said there's a harvest of sin that is produced. You can hide your sin from your friends. You can hide your sin from your family. You can even hide sin from a Christian fellowship. But you can't hide sin from God. Remember Hagar said, Thou God seest me. What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And oh that we could see how wicked and hateful And heinous sin actually is. The Bible tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. And you think of how we have violated the law of God, the Ten Commandments in our thoughts, in our words, and in our deeds. You see, we are not only creatures made in the image of God, but we're accountable to God. And therefore we have a responsibility as creatures when we sin against that God uh, to to repent of that sin and seek his face for mercy. And when the Lord calls for repentance, and when the Lord calls for restoration, then there should be that response from our hearts. But if we refuse and refuse time and time again, doesn't the Bible says? He that being often reproved and hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And isn't it interesting that Joel is there preaching in the land of Israel. And um, these are the people that have returned from captivity. These are the people that have come back from the Babylonian captivity, a remnant. I even think today, uh, as you know, during the summer we were there in the land of Israel um, 1948, the state of Israel was reborn, the land was reconstituted, and a a, a remnant is there. Now, Now, they're religious, and you cannot fault their zeal. But there's a difference between being religious and being regenerate. And there's one thing to offer prayer but the only prayer that God hears is prayer that's offered through the mediator of the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ, and everything in the Old Testament pointed forward and prefigured Christ in his person and work. The sad thing is that the remnant, why they're religious today, have never learned about the destructive power of sin. They haven't remembered that sin brings displeasure in the judgment of God. they they haven't heeded the call for true repentance and they haven't learned the lesson of that call to repentance is unheeded then there's a day comes when the mercy ends and the holy wrath of God steps in and you're faced with the final harvest could you imagine tonight getting a letter you get mail every day I get mail every day and I, I, I open it sometimes I don't know who the letter's from until I open it begin to read it but imagine getting the letter and open it and it's from the courts or from the PSNI. And you're being accused of being guilty of some crime. And in that moment when you read it, isn't it spine tingling? Isn't there that chilling sensation that just throws from you? And if you sort of reckon in your head, wait a minute, they've got the wrong man. It's not me. Um, I wasn't driving that car. I didn't do that. Um Then you want to get it sorted out. Maybe it's a call to be a witness. Serious crime or trial. You can't get out of it. But but you think of this. That in the last day. There's going to be the final harvest of God. When just as he summons the locusts. To a particular area. He will summon the children of men. To a particular area. And he will summons them there. For this particular person. To mete out judgment upon them. Because of their sin. Amos. Who was a contemporary of Joel. He preached in Judah. While Joel preached in the land of Israel. Amos 4 and 4 says. Prepare to meet thy God. Sorry it's verse 12. Prepare to meet thy God. And the context is because he's coming to meet you in judgment. You haven't repented. You haven't received him as Lord and Savior. You haven't recognized your sin. You've treated it as a light and trivial thing. This is not just a summons for individuals. This is a summons for the nations of the earth. This is a summons for for all the heathen. Isn't that what... what, um, uh, Job, or sorry, Job uh, tells us there, he he says in verse 12, let the heathen be uh, be awakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. The word heathen is mentioned twice and what's a heathen? You you know, sometimes we we, we talk to people and say, you heathen ye, now what do we mean? Are we thinking about a, an African man, if I could use that expression, who's going about with little clothes and he has got his face pointed and he's got these little um, things that he shakes about and he, he's rattling bones? Is that our concept? Maybe it's even gone back further to the Stone Age people that were pulling women about by the hair and grunting and groaning. The answer is no. Who are the heathen? The heathen are all that know not God and obey not the gospel. Now, I want you to link it up. Turn there to 2 Thessalonians. uh, 2 Thessalonians. And look with me at chapter 1. See, Paul's writing to encourage God's people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Notice the context. Seeing it's a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Think of those that were bringing trouble to the church. There was persecution. There was opposition. He says in verse 7, unto you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them. That know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. From the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified in his sins and be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Notice it's those that know not God. And obey not the gospel. That's the heathen who are summoned. And so often, you see, we think of a heathen man as someone who's a murderer or, or a thief or an idolater or, or even one of these uh, homosexuals or, or um, uh, s- some some other type of, of heinous crime. And of course, these things are individual expressions of our depravity. and and our uh, sinfulness. I I often think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, know ye not, in other words, don't be deceived, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We we could underline the word um, uh, uh, unrighteous and, and substitute it for the word heathen. Know ye not that the heathen shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says, none that faileth shall enter in. Notice verse 11. And such were some of you. This is what you were like before you were saved. Remember we said this morning, the before and after technique. This is what you were like before you were saved. But ye are washed, washed in the precious blood. But ye are sanctified, separated now unto God, singled out by the Spirit. But ye are justified, legally declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. We we could even think of Revelation chapter 20, the great white throne judgment. And we read there in chapter 20, and in the uh, verse uh, 15 verse 12 and i saw the dead small and great stand before god and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works and the sea gave up the dead which were in it and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, here's the summons of the final harvest. Now all who are saved, and all who know and love Jesus Christ, what a comfort and hope they have in light of his coming. Because he's already saved them. He has sealed them with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a proof or a deposit that they're his. And he secures them day by day because they're kept by his power. And, and they're settled by his grace and peace even though they live in a troubled world. But I want to tell you tonight if you're not saved... You'll be summoned to that final judgment. You'll be at the great white throne. And you might say, "Well, well, I'll be dead by then. That may be the case, but I want to tell you, your body will be raised up. And if you tell me, well, uh, sure, my body is going to be burnt up into little bits of ashes and scattered to the four winds. I want to tell you, God has power to bring the dust of the earth of your body together and fashion it into a body and reunite your body with your soul so that you stand before him body and soul to receive your judgment. The summons to appear is real. You'll be summons to give an account. Your responsibility is to God. Uh, Notice... Um, Something else here very quickly. Not only the summons in the final harvest, but the sentence in the final harvest. You see, the Bible talks about the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And you think of the fact that God has been good to you. I remember saying to a man in the hospital one time as he lied down in bed, he was about 84, he wasn't saved, and I said to him, Willie, God has been good to you He's given you health and strength All your days Until now He has blessed you physically He has blessed you with a family You've got a good wife And you've got good children A number of them are saved And they love you And he's blessed you Materially Because you've got a few pounds in the bank And you have a wee business there And a bit of a farm Up to this point God has been good A good shepherd He's watching you now. And Willie, the point is, you don't know him. And despite how good he's been, you've kept him out, you've refused him all these years. I'm glad to tell you that particular night, that man, Willie McMullen, got saved. And what a joy it was for his family. He died about three days later. But you know, when you reach the point of the final harvest, God's mercy will have ended. The day of grace will be over. It's too late. This particular year, uh, as we told you before, we had the joy of being in Israel. We stood in the Mount of Olives. We looked down towards Jerusalem. I looked down and I saw the um, eastern gate, the golden gate that was all bricked up. And I thought, isn't that a picture of men's hearts? That when Christ comes to them now in the gospel, their hearts are hard and bricked up to him. What if it's too late? There's a voice come over the airwaves too late. It was a man called Christian Martin. He was captain of the Concord flight that plunged into a hotel in July the 25th in the year 2000. Less than two minutes after takeoff, The radio said, no time, no time. The supersonic aircraft was aflame. Two engines were failing. The landing gear was stuck. And the pride of commercial aviation was fast moving speed. The supersonic jet that had just lifted its needle nose toward heaven after sewing down the runway at breathtaking speed conquered zero, four, five, nine, oh. You have flames. You have flames behind you. The control tower had warned. Seven seconds after the message from the control tower, the chief navigator confirmed, Break down engine. Break down engine two. Cut engine two. He said, four seconds later, the aircraft tried to gain speed for an emergency landing. But Marty, Christian Marty, could be heard saying, Too late. The crash, the first in the Concorde's 24-year commercial service, Killed all 109 people on board and four in the ground. Too late. No time. The last word spoken by the captain before the terrible accident. I was thinking about these final words in this sentence of the final harvest. Uttered in the background of immense tragedy and destruction. I thought how equally applicable to the spiritual and eternal state of young people and men and women. Preparation must be made for eternity. We need to be ready. See, there's coming a time and it'll be too late. Too late to repent. Too late to seek God. Too late to believe. Too late to find mercy. Too late to accept Christ. Too late to be saved. There'll be no time to pray. There'll be no time to make preparation. If you leave the matter to some future day, it may be too late. And there'll be no time. And in the final harvest, it's too late. There's no time and delay is dangerous, neglect is foolishness. The Bible says Behold now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Let me ask you. It will be too late if sudden death overtakes you. If death should strike its fatal blow without warning, and certainly such words could be written too late, no time. Death can come unexpectedly. Experience proves this to be so. The car crash, the work accident, the stroke, the heart attack. And you don't get time to pray. You don't get time to repent. You don't get time to cry for mercy. Sudden death means immediate eternity. Ushered out into the presence of God. And your eternal destiny is sealed. It'll be too late should the second coming of Christ overtake you. The day of the Lord is an unknown day. Jesus said, behold I come quickly. The whole tenor of the Bible points to a (coughs) sudden death unexpected return of christ it'll just be like lightning it'll be as a thief cometh in the night it'll be with sudden destruction and in that great day the day of the earth's final harvest it'll be too late there'll be no time because mercy and the day of opportunity and grace is over it'll be too late in the solemn day of judgment see god's dear son speaks of a most solemn occasion when it'll be too late There'll be no time. The day of judgment. Too late forever. Can you see the importance of being ready? The Bible says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It says, Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Therefore seek the Lord while he may be found. Think of that golden gate and the bricked up heart. Is that a picture of your heart tonight? Is it hard? Is it close to Christ? Just remember this, when the judgment comes you'll be ushered into his presence and then your heart will melt. Then you'll be without excuse. Then you'll be silent. But it'll be too late for the harvest of the earth is ripe. It's dry. It's it's ready for judgment. The Bible talks about the ripening of the sinner. The cup of iniquity being filled. For many tonight it's not full. It's a day of grace and opportunity. There's mercy with the Lord. They have an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to hear the gospel, an opportunity to call on the Lord. But once that cup of iniquity is full as far as your life is concerned, then God has a day of mercy that ceases for you. How many tonight are ripe for judgment? And ripe fruit, fruit that's dried up, and you bite into it. Sure doesn't taste the same. Good for nothing but destruction, throwing out. Notice lastly, the sickle in the final harvest. Here's a reference to to the judgment of God. Here's a reference to the judge. Um, The voice is, thrust in thy sickle and reap. And it's an angel saying to him that sat in the cloud, and he that sat in the cloud, of course, is the Lord Jesus himself. He's the righteous judge. And he comes to this earth the second time to judge. And he has zero tolerance for sin. We'll close tonight with this little thought. Over there in the book of Joel, we read, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. And whether this is in the valley of Jehoshaphat outside Jerusalem or which is, this is in the valley of Megiddo. There's multitudes there. And I thought to myself many, many years ago, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Isn't that great? People about to decide for Jesus. Just one final step. And then they'll be over the line for Christ. A multitude. Glory to God. And then I discovered when I went to Bible college... It doesn't mean that at all. It was pointed out to me that the margin of the Bible in the valley of decision likely means in the valley of Concision, And Concision has to do with cutting off. Or threshing. And some of you who are farmers here are familiar with a thresher. And the threshing of the wheat and the corn and the barley and how it separates the wheat from the chaff when God puts in his sickle there's not only a gathering but there's a separating there's a threshing process goes on and what a terrible day that will be the great day of his wrath you think of what I said in that second point too late no time you think of the multitudes that have grown up in Northern Ireland with the gospel tonight. They had the wonderful privilege of hearing words whereby they can be saved. Know they have a soul. Know they're sinners. Know they need to be saved. Know that Jesus is the only saviour of sinners. And they have opportunity to come. And they're, 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 there's nothing should be holding them back. And yet something to us. Whatever they embrace. you think of that day people from Northern Ireland, gospel-believing churches, free Presbyterian churches, Eland churches, Baptist churches, who've heard the gospel and rejected Christ, lived without him, and meet God in the day of judgment. What an astonishment it would be for them. What a day when they're without excuse because they're found in the valley where they're cut off forever. The sickle of God has found them out. Will the sickle of God find you in that day? The saved will not be there. Only those that are sentenced will experience God's sickle. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to your heart.